breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Hope you all had a wonderful week with your family, productive, spiritually fulfilling, and you're ready to take on another week. And as always, I bring you the things that are either going awry in the coverage in the mainstream media or things that uh, you just didn't think about because the so-called fourth estate didn't want you to. Went right by it. And here, while I'm dedicated to specifically more more often to Muslim reform, uh, there are so many topics that uh, I do think, whether it's in medicine, the pandemic, foreign policy, our priorities, there's a nexus. You see the Islamist movement affecting a lot of different politics, and you see the left acting in a way that, as the son of immigrants that escaped tyranny in Syria, I think my perspective might add a little bit to the conversation that you might be having near the water cooler with your colleagues. Well, many of us are virtual, so uh, near the virtual water cooler, if you will. Hopefully you're all getting back to work. And we as Muslims, by the way, this week are going to begin the fasting of Ramadan, the ninth month of the lunar calendar, a month that Muslims believe uh, the Holy Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad through the angel Gabriel. And it's a month of fasting, of reflection, of supplication. We abstain, typically nothing to eat or drink, even water, from dawn till sunset. And I think back to the last Ramadan, it was right at the beginning, after a few weeks, after the beginning of the, the pandemic. We had begun the process of hunkering down, We thought that it would be short-lived, as all of you did. And here we are now, 14 months later, 13 months later, and not much change. Yes, we're beginning to open up. States are opened up. The lockdowns are a thing of the past for some states, but others are continuing. What's continuing is the fear industry, the panic industry the recurrent interviews that want to scare us. And as we enter our month of Ramadan in this time of reflection, gosh, you know, I'm going to be focused on trying to get back to normal. What is normal? Will we ever get back to it? Sure, there's some shifts that have happened in culture, in our societies, be it the, the shift towards more virtual work and other things, but we have to get back to normal relationships. The essence of life is the spiritual connection not only with God, but with each other. Empathy. Sympathy. Connectiveness. All the things that make us human, that we seem to have parked, and then it went into neutral, went in reverse. Folks are stressed. I can tell you it's a primary care doc been seeing a lot of that sort of the beginning of the repercussions as i've talked to you about before here the pandemic after the pandemic so in this month of reflection and atonement i hope i'm going to try to find what is that new normal 
And hopefully it's not much different from the old normal of what it is to be a human being, to be an American, to be thankful for the freedoms that we have. I was saddened to hear this week that one of the organizations that we've partnered with for some time in London, that's part of our Muslim reform movement. The individuals are still part of our Muslim reform movement, but Quilliam International, Quilliam Foundation, founded by Majid Nawaz, he put out a statement this week and he said, due to the hardship of maintaining a nonprofit during COVID lockdowns, we took the tough decision to close Quilliam down for good. This was finalized today, he said on the 9th of April. A huge thank you to all those who supported us over the years. We are now looking forward to a new post-COVID future. And, you know, listen, the end of a company, a nonprofit does not mean the end of the work for all the folks that Majid, Harris Rafiq, Muhammad uh, Frazier Rahim, so many of the leaders that have come out of Quilliam International in London and the UK and Europe and elsewhere in the United States, uh, I think are going to go on to be activists that will continue to focus on political Islam and be a thorn in the side of the Islamists. So before, and, and yeah, sure enough, it took no time for leading pundits and so-called journalists from Al Jazeera, right? The, the bastion of the Muslim Brotherhood, an employee of Al Jazeera, Jamal Al-Shayyal, said, it's been a tough 12 months, but here's a reminder that there's always a silver lining. Can you believe that? Talk about the, the, the audacity, disgusting audacity of a Islamist who says the silver lining of COVID of a pandemic that killed hundreds of thousands, millions, is the end of an organization that is his antagonist, that exposed the evil that is Islamist theocracy along with us. And then you see a lot of comments reverberating about what a beautiful gift the Islamists said before Ramadan. And I think it highlights why we're doing this work. They at the end of the day, think they are God. They aren't about free speech. They aren't about freedom and democracy. To them, democracy, as Erdogan so explicitly said, the head of Turkey and the Islamists running that country right now, said democracy is like a train. You take it until you get where you want to go and then you get off. And that's to them what democracy is. Free speech is for others as long as it doesn't offend them. And it doesn't prohibit the advancement of their Islamic theocratic Sharia supremacism. Because that's what it's all about. And they expose themselves whenever something difficult happens to their antagonists. To those who are about equality of all. Not just for Muslims and the Islamists that are part of the Muslim faith. But no, for all. Whether Muslim or not. Whether atheist or not. Whether Christian, Jewish or any tradition, the part that we fight for as Americans, as Brits, as those of all communities and nations is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And Quilliam fought for that for a number of years. I'm sorry to see them go. They are not going. Majid still has a strong radio program in the UK, the LBC. And I hope the rest of uh, the folks that have come out of his organizations, uh, pop up in different organizations, pop up with new organizations, and this free market of ideas 
because we have a lot of work to do. The Islamists are still ostensibly winning. What do I mean by that? Well, they're winning because they have the power of massive media arms of massive Islamic states. Iran's Islamic Republic of Iran and its press TV and others is a is a full-on billions of dollars devoted to not only their weaponization of terror and Islamist terror through Hezbollah, the Houthis, and others, but the weaponization of their ideas through media that's sympathetic by Russia and others. So that's one arm. Al Jazeera and Qatar's royal family spreads its hate and anti-Semitism and anti-Westernism and anti-democracy through their propaganda arm that has the ear and the eyes of tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Arabs and Westerners. Now they've even started an operation of so-called right-of-center right media from Al Jazeera. And then Turkey. Now it's turning into one of the Clearly the worst tyranny in Europe, if not one of the worst tyrannies of Muslim-majority countries right now, with the disappearance of free speech, the imprisonment of the enemies of Erdogan, on and on. And its media arm has become an Islamist propaganda arm. So when we're talking about what we're fighting, it is beyond David and Goliath. It is, it is massive governments, massive arms, petro-Islam, if you will. Now, the Abraham Accords has somewhat separated the Islamist movement significantly from some of the monarchies and autocracies of the Middle East. But the reform's coming slowly, faster than before, certainly. And Biden's doing everything he can to slow that up. <laughs> but it continues. So, blessings to all of you at Quilliam. Thank you for all that you've done, and I'm sure you'll go on to do it's all about, it's not about one organization, it's not about one person, it's about the ideas, and Islamists will lose. Ten years ago they said we couldn't use the term Islamism, now it's become ubiquitous. We've changed the lexicon, we've changed the narrative. So, depends on how you look at it, I don't believe they're actually winning, I think they have more money, obviously, they have more resources, and they're winning as far as the rise of the left, and I'm going to talk to you about that shortly. But I'm going to be thankful in this month of Ramadan as we fast every day about the ability and the freedom to live in this country and continue to to face the ideas of the Islamists and to face them head on with the need for reform against their dogma, against their penchant for theocracy. And you look everywhere and you see that they don't want to change. And the left now, remember I've talked to the last few episodes about Colorado, about the terror attack by the Syrian immigrant El Isa, preceded multiple Facebook posts and others with, with comments about Islamophobia and anti-Westernism and and uh, our policies, etc., etc., and all things that are hallmarks of political Islamic thought, victimization mantra, and sort of a heed into the Muslim Brotherhood-type mentality. But nobody wants to pay attention to that. He didn't have the 
classic, you know, the Islamist 101 for dummies imprint that in any ways nobody wants to pay attention to it. And the classic is a report from Jack Healy. By the way, Jack Healy with the New York Times, in his two-line summary of who he is as a reporter, it said, Jack Healy, Colorado-based national correspondent who focuses on rural places and life outside America's city limits signs. He's worked in Iraq and Afghanistan and is a graduate of the University of Missouri's Journalism School. And yet... He gave, in painful detail, the agonizing stories of so many families. And the title of his report from just a few days ago, this weekend, he said, I know she's gone, but why? Why? Love and loss at a Boulder grocery store. About the King Supers grocery store that was riddled with bullets by... Mr. Elisa. Why? He asked the question why and then goes on through his story to talk about individuals, family members that lost loved ones that were horrified by what happened and the terror that came to that grocery store. The most poignant quotation, he said, For a few fleeting days, the country's horrified gaze was fixed on Boulder after Ms. Liker, 51, and nine other people at the King Supers were killed by a 21-year-old gunman whose motives remain a mystery. Inevitably, the national attention drifted away to shootings that claimed four lives at Southern California real estate office or five at a doctor's home. And he goes on. I, I mean, I, I, I'm speechless. Now it's all about, it's, it's just simply the guns. It's the mass shooting. Equating this to every other murder, mass murder, that happens on the streets, in the stores, in the schools, whatever it might be, rest their souls. But this is not the same. He wouldn't even identify the name of the shooter, Alisa. He didn't identify the fact that there were social media posts. And the question of the article was why? Families are asking why. In just a matter of weeks, a couple weeks after, think about the Boston bombers. That could have been ignored. There, the, these were, and some of the stories did minimize their ideological background. They weren't scholars of Islam. They weren't talking about theology, the Boston bombers. Uh, They they were simply sucked into the militant mentality that America was the enemy and its citizens were were warriors that needed to be killed by their jihad. To to say that Al-Isa, that opened fire at the King Supers, was not a jihadist and that his motives remain a mystery Fine, you don't want to say it with assurance. Yeah, we don't know with assurance until he says it or writes it or something's revealed. But again, it's like Omar Mateen 
Initially, they were saying they didn't want to say what he did. It they don't know. I remember the police reports, and you even had the 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 leaders of the Muslim community in Orlando standing by the police, saying this has nothing to do with Islam, etc. And then they release the 911 call in which he said, "I am a member of ISIS," and everything changed. So once they had verbal, and that was delayed for two days, that they don't relieve, if not more, they had verbal acknowledgement that he adhered as a soldier with the jihadist terror group, ISIS, somehow then it became impossible to dispel. Are you kidding me? It doesn't need to be that clear. Look at what the left is doing about other groups that suit their ideological agenda and they want to attack on the right. All of a sudden comments from the president and other things become drivers for their motives. But when it comes to jihad, you can't even mention it. Don't even mention the father's Facebook post, the father's anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism that was mirrored by the son in some of the posts that we know about. It's just, uh, it, it is incredulous that the New York Times has the temerity. It takes us for fools that they can publish a piece that starts with the unbelievable question. Families are asking why, and nobody knows the motives. Why did this happen? Really? That's investigative journalism from a guy who spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan that somehow the radical Islamists of the Taliban, when they attack, all those jihadists are, are different than this guy? Because he came here when he was four or five and grew up in a wealthy neighborhood in, color, in the suburbs of Boulder, Colorado. That makes him very different than the Taliban radicals or the Muslim Brotherhood radicals of Hamas or the ISIS radicals in Syria. It's the same disease. And as long as we ignore it, we are going to continue to be struck with their attacks and we're not going to treat the disease with the right exposures and the antiseptic of sunlight so obviously it's not new here that if you've been listening to uh, our podcast for a while for you to realize that the new york times is hardly a place to learn about jihad they had they they have one amazing reporter who in her work exposing ISIS with 15,000 files that had been found, categoried, libraried, and became a resource globally for the ideological framework of, of Sharia extremism, Sharia supremacism that ISIS uses and its, its uh, uh, extremist mindset. And yet, the Islamists pounded and pounded and pounded and found a way in which they exposed that one of the primary characters that she had relied on for her podcast, The Caliphate, Hosefa was his name, had actually been lying to the New York Times. Now, you can make what criticisms you want of how that story was vetted, what she should have done, etc. But to then discard her, reassign her, 
You go to her Wikipedia page, that's sort of the highlight of it now under counterterrorism research, her ISIS files. The ISIS files, which are an amazing resource, an amazing resource that says there has been criticism of how Kalamachi acquired the ISIS files. These documents are alleged to have been removed from Iraq without permission, displaying a neo-imperial mindset. <laughs> the only report, and you know, Barry Weiss has talked about this quite a bit as to what happens to somebody that doesn't tow the wokeism, the woke mentality of victimization that the New York Times staff seems to reverberate. And she ended up leaving and now is on her own. Kalamachi hasn't left yet. I might be mispronouncing her name, forgive me. But her work was dealt a severe body blow. A resource that many of us in the counterterrorism community and work that are dedicated to protecting our security and advancing freedom and liberty against the ideas that radicalize Muslims all across the planet. Again, the pathology of the New York Times struck again. Yeah, they can issue, they even returned her Peabody Award and other things. Um, does the punishment fit the crime? <laughs> Last, Victor Davis Hanson, always a font of brilliance, had a piece that I think is one of the best he's ever written. Came out a few days ago about the 10 radical new rules that are changing America. Ten radical new rules that are changing America. Americans privately fear these rules while publicly appearing to accept them. And I'm bringing you to this pro. I'm bringing it to this program because I've talked to you about the red-green axis. That synergy between the far left, the Marxists, the Antifa types, the the extreme progressivists, and the Islamists. We launched an organization this week called the Council of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism, CMAA, launched by Rahil Raza, one of our founders in our Muslim Reform Movement, co-founders, and uh, many of us uh, joined her and her advisor as, as her advisors and advisory committee on the organization that she launched now against anti-Semitism. And it's a natural evolution. Look it up. Join us in our work in our Muslim Reform Movement but a theme that comes up is really one of the, you take away the anti-Semitism and their common hate for other groups, for nation states, for Western society, Western liberalism, classical liberalism. And there's not much left in common between the Islamists and the left and the far left, but yet they work together because of their utilitarian approach to their common enemies. And I think if you look at these 10 ideas, that the 10 new rules that Victor Davis Hanson's talking about, as he writes for the Center for American Greatness, you can't help but say, wow. There were signs after 9-11 as we fought for the ideas to expose that terrorism was a symptom, that the ideas of political Islam are trying to not only be pushed under the carpet by 
those who racialized Islam, those who racialized Muslims, were being Muslim as an idea. But no, they said it was a race. That if you were anti-Muslim, you're a bigot by definition. Rather than simply being perhaps intolerant of the ideas of Islam. But you're a racist if you criticize a Muslim. Let alone try to make a connection between the ideology of political Islam and Islamist terror. And a lot of these behaviors I testified against in Congress. We spent years, now we're almost at 20 years post 9-11. And yet, the theme seemed to be, I kept trying to say, this is not just about Muslims. Our society is moving to the point where any criticism of certain ideas is going to be prevented, be labeled as hate, be labeled as their religion. Now we're calling it wokeism, the great awakening, <laughs> and the Islamist battlefront was simply one front in this war. So let's look at what the 10 new rules are. One, money is a construct. It can be created from thin air. Annual deficits and aggregate national debt no longer matter much. Wow, that is sort of a socialism, if you will, but the Islamists, they see cash as something the governments can just print for folks. In their Sharia finance, they want to, the clerics want to control the economics, what you can and cannot buy, what you can and cannot support. So again, the socialists and the Islamists seem to work hand in hand. Law number two from Mr. Hansen, from Victor Davis Hansen. Laws are not necessarily binding anymore. As Biden has willfully rendered federal immigration laws null and void, opening up the border. No longer is there legal immigration. It's simply just let them rush in. It doesn't matter. Arrests, prosecution, and trials are all fluid. Ideology governs when a law is still considered a law. Crime rates don't matter anymore. If someone's carjacked, assaulted, or shot, for certain people, it depends on who's attacking who. It's all about hate and bigotry. Otherwise, we ignore it. As we saw with the Uber Eats driver that was attacked in D.C. and killed, nobody even noted that he was a Muslim. So when it's flipped, when the attackers are of a certain race, demographic, it's ignored, regardless of who the victim is. So the relationship between the far left and Islamists is one of convenience because they'll throw the Muslims under the bus too when it doesn't serve the racialization of what they're trying to do. And you saw crimes committed against federal Statues against federal buildings from Portland to Chicago to D.C. doesn't matter. But, oh, it matters when the so-called right does it. And yes, what happened on January 6th was, a, was an abomination and disgusting. And may they all suffer the significant repercussions of our justice system. 
But to say somehow that they're approaching everything else in the same level of attention is absurd. As I mentioned last week, the follower of the Nation of Islam attacked the U.S. Capitol. Nobody even knew he was a Muslim, barely. No reporting about it. And here you have one of the largest hate groups, anti-Semitic leaders, Louis Farrakhan, leading millions with followers in the millions on his social media, unimpeded, as he makes horrific statements about Jews and Israel and humanity. And nobody pays attention. So to say that hypocrisy or duplicity of the left is even an understatement. There is a reality where it is a propaganda operation, where it's about maligning an entire movement, maligning 75 million Americans that did not vote for Biden. And ultimately, and ultimately these rules are progressing. Three, racialism is now acceptable. Hansen says we're defined first by our ethnicity or religion and only secondarily, if at all, by an American commonality. The explicit exclusion of whites from college dorms, safe spaces, and federal aid programs is now non-controversial. It is unspoken payback for perceived, for perceived past sins or a type of good racism. Falsely being called a racist makes one more guilty than falsely calling someone else a racist. Wow, if that doesn't hit home about the work we've been doing about trying to prevent the racialization of Muslims. Muslims are from all races across the planet, and yet the approach to the America has been one of a, a decerebrated approach to talking about it, where you can't even use three brain cells together to realize that all Islamists are Muslim, but not all Muslims are Islamists. That it's a theocratic strain that includes a plurality in some places, if not most, 20 to 30 to 40 percent at times. That doesn't make them all militant Islamists, but it's an ideology where it has militant and non-militant underpinnings of a supremacist ideology of political Islam. And that's not a race, that's an ideology. But racialism is acceptable, and we said, don't, I don't want to say I told you so, but that's why I'm going through this. This is stuff I talked about. We talked about us in the Muslim reform movement that it's the way Muslims were being approached over the last 20 years in America, and now you're seeing it in every sphere, towards every race, except the ones that don't fall lockstep with their far-left extremist mentality, be it those of Caucasian extraction, those of Asian extraction. And now I'm talking about admissions to universities, etc., which the Biden Justice Department has thrown out that case. All the while the far left now is talking about crimes against the Asian community which, yes, should be stopped if that exists, as it exists, absolutely, any hate and bigotry. But the LA Times insults us with an editorial this week that said, the soft bigotry of mispronouncing Asian American names. The soft bigotry. 
Many of us have had our names mispronounced our entire lives, and we never thought it was bigotry. Many immigrants mispronounce Western Anglo-Saxon names. Does that make them bigots that they, as they come here and mispronounce aren't the, the, the names of Anglo-Saxon folks? I don't think so. It's just different languages with different pronunciations. Even Winston Churchill when describing the different English between the Brits and Americans, said it was two common democracies or something separated by a common language. (laughs) Let alone the other differences. The fourth rule, the immigrant is mostly preferable to the citizen. So true. The newcomer, unlike the host, is not stained by the sins of America's founding and history. Most citizens currently must follow quarantine rules and social distancing, stay out of school and obey all the laws. Yet those entering the United States illegally need not follow such apparently superfluous COVID-19 rules. Their children should be immediately schooled without worry of quarantine. Etc. Let alone the legalities and other things. Rule number five, according to Victor Davis Hanson, most Americans should be treated as we would treat little children. They can't be asked to provide ID to vote. Yes, going to the hospital, going to the store. Yes, they need to provide ID, but oh, not to vote. In order to protect Neanderthals from themselves. And I said this the other day when talking about COVID, the the fear industry. They're treating us like children, right? Don't let Americans know that that things are getting easier because they'll just let up like kids would if you relieve them from their time out. Keep them in their time out because they won't act responsibly if we treat them like adults. That's the way the far left behaves when given the reins of power treating the rest of us as children, becoming risk-averse instead of enjoying the independence of freedom and understanding that there's some risk that will come. Rule number six, hypocrisy is passé. Virtue signaling is alive. We basically talked about that, haven't we? The social justice warriors, Hansen said, live in a gated communities. Multi-billionaire elitists pose as victims of sexism, racism, and homophobia. The classic, this is Pierce Morgan's narrative, his his very poignant narrative about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and they're living in a multi-million, in in a $10, $20 million home, mansion, using the name of the royal family, all the while they say they're racist, etc. Talk about hypocrisy, talk about virtue signaling as Oprah interviews them and doesn't give them a chance. There's no chance from the, to prove any of that. Who said what, etc. doesn't matter. Perfect example of something that's happening on the orders of magnitude by every day on far-left media. Rule number nine, ignorance is preferable to knowledge. And I 
think he poignantly says, and this is something the Islamists do, by the way, right? When the Islamists took over Afghanistan and the Taliban, they destroyed the Buddhist statues. They removed any history of other faiths other than their version of Islam. The Wahhabis did that in Saudi Arabia. It's classic of intolerance. And why, again, the far left and the Islamists work together. As Hansen said, he said, neither statue toppling nor name changing nor the 1619 project, again, of the New York Times, right, that said that America is more identified by its slavery history than by its revolution. 1619 project require any evidence or historical knowledge. Heroes of the past were simple constructs. Undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees reflect credentials, not knowledge. The brand, not what created it, is all that matters. So true. The Islamists call us ignorant. They cheer the demise of their enemies, as I said at the beginning, rather than the debate with their enemies, because they don't want a true contest of ideas. They want people to live in ignorance and not have a debate about ideas, but call them racists, call them intolerant, because you can't engage on the issues. And last, Hansen said, wokeness is the new religion growing faster and larger than Christianity. That's the key, right? That's what I've, we've been saying for years, is that the, the left, the progressivists and the Islamists work together because they're both forms of a religion that want to collectivize, that want to snuff out free speech blasphemy is to speak against the ideas of somebody who may represent one of their minorities because oh you must be not criticizing the idea but criticizing the individual and the messenger which is what they do by the way they attack the messengers as being bigots instead of dealing with the idea so god bless Victor Davis Hanson for the great work he always does. And as we enter the month of Ramadan, let's reflect on the blessings that is America, the blessings that are the freedom that we have. And may we push back with the rigor of the ideas that we have and there with the antiseptic of sunlight. The ideas of political Islam will melt away. The ideas of the far left will be exposed for the hypocrisy that they are. So God bless. It's always great to be with you. Tell your friends about our podcast. Reform this. Share it on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And week to week, we bring you the things that they just won't talk about elsewhere. This is your faithful American Muslim patriot, Zudi Jasser, on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh,